Hello and welcome to the podcast of Renew Lehigh Valley's Brown Bag Discussion Series. I'm Stephen Bliss, Executive Director of Renew Lehigh Valley, and this is the recording of the May 2010 Brown Bag Session. These brown bags are an ongoing series of informal discussions of issues related to urban revitalization, smart growth, and regional collaboration. This session looked at efforts to promote bicycling in the Lehigh Valley, the progress made at the local and state levels recently, as well as challenges related to increasing support for bicycling as a mode of transit. The panelists on this session were Becky Bradley, Director of Planning and Codes for the City of Easton, Steve Schmidt, Executive Director of the Coalition for Appropriate Transportation, or CAT, John Sharp, a founding member of Bike Allentown, and John Schubert with the Pennsylvania Pedal Cycle and Pedestrian Advisory Committee. This session was held on Friday, May 21st, 2010, in the community room of Allentown Center Square. As always, we welcome your comments and input, so please send your feedback to us at smartgrowth at renewlv.org. Thanks for listening. I, I guess I just wanted to start off by saying um, the city of the city of Easton's uh, efforts in terms of, of urban planning, design, community, economic development are all focused on a global mission of incorporating every single project that comes to the city, whether public or private, um, in with a true multimodal transportation network. So I come at things from uh, a large sort of uh, global, more holistic perspective than you know just just uh, an advocate for one form of transportation over another. But with that being said, um, for far too long in the city of East, and, and quite frankly th throughout the Lehigh Valley and the, the state in the United States as well, um, transportation policy has been focused solely on automobile traffic. So a couple years ago, after we'd finished writing the planning and zoning code and we started to, to really start to see new restaurants and retail and housing coming back to the city of Easton, we realized that we're now getting uh, a lot more pedestrian traffic. We were also getting a lot more bicycle traffic. Now, Genesis Bicycles, I'm sure you, you all know, is one of the best bike shops ever. Um, they're located in the city, the city of Easton, and we're hosting a series of ice cream rides and bicycle rides uh, for all skill levels from children to adults for years and years and years. It's been kind of a, a fixture in the community. And we were trying to, at the city level, figure out how we could integrate the really wonderful things that they were doing there in with this uh, global kind of plan to integrate a better pedestrian and, and cyclist uh, climate in with our automobile environment. Um, to make what could be a really, really, really long story short, um, the city wasn't the only, the only folks thinking about this. Uh, a newly formed Environmental Advisory Council and William Doe, our chairman of, of that um, organization, is part of the city, is here uh, today. Um, started focusing on with the the main street program which is our downtown revitalization group eastern business association and a number of partners how we could uh, tie this climate all of these these modes of transportation back together um, the environmental advisory council embarked on a pedestrian study for uh, third street and how to reconnect um, and make safer our, our sidewalk and, and street crossings it's part of the Bushkill Creek Corridor, which is a partnership between the Delaware and Lehigh National Heritage Corridor, uh, Lafayette College, the Eastern Redevelopment Authority, and uh, the city. Uh, we were also looking at uh, tying back 
recreational trails into the street grid and expanding um, expanding that network by adding about another two and a half miles throughout the city which would go on off street recreational trails but also on street as well then we met Scott Slingerland and we met Steve Schmidt uh, through all of this and uh, the public works director myself our new planner uh, Brian Gish the chairman of our planning commission went to bike school with uh, these two gentlemen and they showed us what it meant to be a cyclist on the street network um, and from that we learned a lot about how to better plan to integrate cycling with the pedestrian and vehicular in environment we also started talking with the Public Transit Agency, which is uh, Atlanta, um, and on how we could integrate um, our facilities as well. We realized we had one bike rack in the entire city of Easton out of all of this. I mean, that's shameful. I'm sorry, it just is. But it led to a whole series of things, including a sculptural bike rack program, where the Easton Main Street program um, and the Lehigh Valley Chamber of Commerce uh, Easton uh, division partnered uh, with a number of, of other folks including the mayor's arts commission to contract with sculptors to do space uh, uh, location based specific bike racks throughout the downtown that weren't just you know a traditional rack uh, three of four of them were rolled out last year and I believe there's another three under um, build right now Another thing that we did with the support of the Environmental Advisory Council was uh, to fill in where we couldn't do sculptural bike racks or it wasn't necessarily appropriate to do uh, sculptural bike racks in with kind of what they call bike staples, but they would have the, the City of Easton's History Heritage Home uh, Bugler logo to identify the city further and, and uh, reestablish our, our commitment uh, to the cyclist community. So a lot of things have been going on. Now we're involving the neighborhood groups. Um, the Westward Neighborhood Partnership, the Eastern Area School District. Scott just led um, a chest and bike initiative last week. It was, did you give out 175 bike helmets, I believe? Was that what you, what you gave out um, last week? Which is great. And that's uh, now into the school district for bike education, how to ride safely on the streets, how to be a defensive cyclist. So all of these things are going on right now. And it's almost like the stars, stars have aligned. It ties in with how we spend our public uh, infrastructure and money as well. Um, thanks to the gracious support of PennDOT, uh, we were able to secure funding to do um, a Larry Holmes Drive uh, road diet where we took the road down from four lanes to two. That's helped improve some of our, our cycling ability and now we're expanding that again with the, the support of uh, PennDOT and the Delaware River Joint Toll Bridge Commission to include pr um, the intersection of South Third Street and Larry Holmes Drive as well. So we're dovetailing all of our, our infrastructure investments in with our private investment and it's leading to you know a really significant difference in the city in a period of pretty much two, two years at this point. Um, we will be, as part of all of this, doing shared lane marking similar to what uh, the city of Bethlehem's done. That's in cooperation uh, with Steve and Scott from the Coalition for Appropriate Transportation um, as well. So it's, I guess, I guess the point is, is that building these partnerships is led to a significant improvement in our multimodal environment in the city of Easton in a very, very, very short amount of time. 
Um, we hope to continue this. It's every time we turn around, we've got another event now, and we have what we call the bike gang set up, where everybody comes to the table on more than a regular basis because everyone's so excited about what's going on. Um, and I have to give a plug, tomorrow is bike day in Easton, in conjunction with the Easton's farm, Easton Farmer's Market. A PNC Bank is uh, graciously uh, donated um, information and Brian's passing around some posters so you can take a look at them. But uh, PNC is, Bank has graciously donated funding um, through Genesis to award a free bike. There'll be bike helmets, bike demonstrations. There'll even be a bike ride with the mayor on city streets um, with children to show them that yes, you can safely a ride on the road network as well as our trail network. So with that, I'll turn it over to uh, Steve. Uh, I imagine you can hear me anyway. It's not that large a room. I'm curious, first of all, who rode their bikes here today? Just want to get a feel for that. Okay. Uh, I think I brought a lot of them with me. I think Matt I saw with a helmet. Matt Turk? You think Matt rode his bike in? Yep. Okay, good. like to see that. I think uh, uh, it's the first thing I, I try to figure out is uh, something about the numbers, bicycling for utility purposes. I am a bicyclist who uses a bike to get somewhere, not for recreational purposes. I don't normally ride on trails. I ride almost exclusively on the street. And that's what I'm interested in, in promoting and encouraging. In our region, we probably have the lowest per capita biking for utility purposes possibly in the world. Okay, uh, In the 1990 census, we had one in 2,000 people going to work or riding a bicycle. So that's a very, very small percentage of people. We started referring to ourselves at that time as an endangered species. And I mean that in a very serious way. I think we were very close to actually disappearing here in the Lehigh Valley. So at that time, we started a number of programs, Bike to Work and some other programs, just to try to engender in, in or to support or protect what was in fact an endangered species. And I was very pleased to see that in the 2000 um, census, we actually went from one in 2000 to one in 1000. So it's still very rare, but twice as many people biking to work uh, as were 10 years earlier. So I believe that we did succeed over that time period in at least preserving ourselves as a viable alternative mechanism for getting to work. What I wanted to talk about today is education, primarily. Uh, there is a handout. If you didn't get it, I'd be very happy to have someone hand them out for you. It's got carfree.org on the top, and it's the benefits of shared lane markings. So if anyone wants a copy of that, you raise your hand. Make sure you get it. And also, just for showing up today, I'm handing out postcards with shared lane markings on the also, so you know what it is we're talking about. And I want to thank the people. Uh, Becky gave a pretty good list. She herself came to our, our bike education class. Brian, uh, of course, uh, I brought uh, 11 students of my own today. They are actually becoming certified instructors. They're here from the Bronx and Washington, D.C., and Ohio, Philadelphia. They all came to our area for the three-day seminar to become certified instructors. I seriously believe that what we need is education. It's, a, it's amazing how many people I meet who tell me they know how to ride a bicycle, meaning they know how to balance a bicycle. Oh, Ron, I forgot. Ron from PennDOT also took our course. 
to me, this is what's critical. So if you wanted to do something tomorrow to advance the cause of bicycling, in my opinion, you should find yourself a certified League of American Bicyclist Cycling Instructor. There's about 30 some odd of them here in the region. They're listed on the League website, which is bikeleague.org. You don't have to come through CAT. You can find your own. They, they have their email addresses up there. And you can get in touch with them and, and take that course. Take Traffic Skills 101. It's a nine-hour course, and it tells you what you need to know to ride confidently and comfortably in traffic. We just rode, all of us, 12 of us, just rode here from Bethlehem on Broad Street and Hanover Avenue over the Hamilton Street Bridge, not on the sidewalk, over the bridge, and up Linden Street and here, and we did it perfectly safely and comfortably. It's actually very easy to do. Okay. Now, to try to support this educational program, we had a summit of our own here uh, locally about five or six years ago. It took place over in Bethlehem. And we discussed what we thought were the best ways to achieve our goals of, of sustaining, supporting, and maintaining a bicycle culture for people that use bicycles for transportation. And among other things, you, you gave the list, we're looking at sort of a four-fold approach. The first, of course, is bicycle education. Okay, that Traffic Skills 101 class, we actually can look at it at, at six years of age uh, is when a child first starts to balance on a bike. And you want to get at that child, get them a helmet and teach them the necessary stuff. You want to separate them from traffic. No six or seven or eight-year-old should be able to get into traffic. And then around 10, or so, that's when the child can start to uh, uh, understand traffic law and start to ride in the street. They need that first 30 or 40 hours after their class of supervised adult supervision to ride in the street. That's from research. That's not, that's not my conclusion. That's the research shows that. And then again, you need another uh, course around 16 years of age so that you learn all the ins and outs of how to ride a bike in traffic. And by the way, research in Hawaii shows that people that get those three classes are much better drivers, much better drivers, statistically. So there's a benefit beyond bicycling. Uh, anybody who uh, picks up a paper anytime around prom time, you know every single year, without fail, we lose three, four, five, six, seven teenagers right in that time period. We lose them all year long, but we lose them right in that time period. And I think part of the reason is we hand them car keys at 16 with very little road experience. And that's one reason I, I feel very strongly about bicycling being helpful for the entire system. If you look at this, I separated the benefits for shared lane markings into four categories. The first is the benefit to cyclists. First, it encourages more safe, legal cycling. There's a marking on the street looks like what I showed you, uh, and it encourages, it's just like any other form of on-road bicycle facility, it encourages cyclists to ride on the road, and encourages them to come out and ride their bicycles for transportation. Okay, it encourages cyclists to avoid the door zone of parked cars. I, uh, I was telling my students, I never lack for uh, bad examples. You can go out on any street. I recently stood, we did a parking uh, examination for the Health Bureau here, and we took about, uh, John Sharp uh, was kind enough to uh, provide the vehicle, and we carted around a, a bicycle hitch and put it in certain places and took pictures and bike racks and decided on a lot of excellent locations for bicycle parking. And while we were doing that, it was about two and a half hours, three hours that we did that, I counted bicycles and their behavior, and I counted 50 bicycles, bicyclists in two hours and 40 minutes. All 50 were breaking the law. 50 out of 50 were breaking the law. 
okay? So, and one of the big mistakes they're making that's not even illegal is riding in the door zone. That means riding close enough to the parked cars that if I open the car door, I'm going to hit the cyclist, okay? You never, ever ride in the door zone when you're riding a bicycle, okay? It encourages cyclists to avoid dangerous sidewalk riding. That is the law I saw most frequently broken. It's illegal under state law to ride a bicycle on the sidewalk in a business district. Okay, it's not Allentown law, it's state law. And virtually 60% of the cyclists that you see are breaking the law. And the two bicycle police that I saw were breaking the law. Okay, they were not in an emergency situation and yet they were riding on the sidewalk. It encourages cyclists to travel the correct direction on the street. When we first started the Ride the Right Way Day program 16 years ago, it was a crapshoot. When you met a cyclist, the odds he was going the wrong way were 50-50. Okay, literally 50-50. We used to get around 45% were going the correct direction. Sometimes it was even more people going the wrong way than going the right way. And I'm very pleased to say that in Bethlehem, where we center our programming, for Ride the Right Way Day, it's now down around 23%. So we have had an influence over where, what direction people ride. But if you put a marking in the street with these chevrons, it doesn't mean somebody won't ride right over it going the wrong way. Yes, it happens, but it helps, okay? It helps to guide them. And particularly once they take the class and we ride right over it in the correct direction, it's very reinforcing. It's very reinforcing for education. More biking means a healthier, happy population. We're all here because we want more biking, and we know the reasons why. Health, pollution, economy, and on and on and on. Uh, there, are, there are more reasons to, to bike. I, I got in trouble one time from my own board because I wrote an editorial in, in one of our esteemed papers, and I said that I didn't really understand why we should be able to uh, have to promote bicycling since it's more fun than sex. And I got in a little bit of trouble for that. Uh, and, I, and I guess that is an exaggeration, a little bit hyperbolic. But you have to wonder, why do you have to promote something that's so much damn fun? So that's, that's a question I have. But here we are, and we're going to try to promote it and make it easier for people to do it. Okay, what are the benefits to pedestrians? It calms the traffic. The more bicyclists you have riding correctly and legally, all right, if you've got your pedestrian, if you've got your cyclist and they're going through red lights and they're... Uh, riding on the sidewalk, or they're going the wrong direction, or they're not yielding to pedestrians in the crosswalk, then you have a problem. But if you have correctly trained cyclists, they're very good for pedestrians because they slow the traffic down. One of my ideas, and I think Larry Holmes Drive would be perfect for it, is to hire a cyclist to ride back and forth on Larry Holmes Drive all day long. Just pay him $15,000 a year and have him ride 35 hours a day, and you would make Larry Holmes Drive into a calmer street. Okay? I, I have plenty of people that will take the job. I, I know plenty of people that would take that job. And I think there's plenty of places we could do it. Uh, Main Street in Hellertown, 7th Street in, in Allentown, Hamilton Mall. It would make perfect sense to actually put cyclists in there and calm that traffic down. According to FHWA figures, about 65% of all motorists are speeding at any given time. 65% are speeding. So I always tell my students, you're slowing a, an automobile driver down a little bit, you're doing your part. You're doing your duty. And encourages cyclists to stay off the sidewalks. We talked about that. What are the benefits to motorists? Okay, and encourages cyclists to ride legally. Anybody uh, driven a car? Ron, you drive your car and you see, you're going down Turner Street and you see four kids on BMX bikes coming at you. How does that make you feel? Do you feel safe? Do you like cyclists? 
I don't think so. I don't like it when I'm riding my bike down Turner Street and I see three, four guys coming at me. No. So the, the shared lane markings help encourage correct direction, better behavior, trying to reduce that anarchy that is bicyclists. To me, that is our biggest problem at this time. Bicyclists don't obey the rules because they're not raised with the rules. They have no idea what the rules are for the most part. And they have no respect for it because nobody has any respect for them. So as a result, you end up with bicycle anarchy. And I think that's what we need to fight. We need to, we need to train people early on and get them using their bikes correctly. I know there's a big theory that the more bicyclists, the safer it is. But I say one bicyclist obeying the law, stopping at red lights, traveling in the correct direction, is worth 50 bicyclists that are going all over the place. Okay? Encourage cyclists to travel the correct direction. The other benefits, it makes the street more bicycle friendly. Okay? Just by putting the, the marking on there, and I have to add, I, I know John's going to get into this, and I have it on my shirt. Bikes may use full lane. That's the sign that goes with the Chevron, the shared lane marking. Bikes may use full lane. Now, not every situation requires a bicyclist to use a full lane. But when you narrow down, we're going to ride back over the Hamilton Street Bridge on our way back. And when we do that, we're going to approach the Hamilton Street Bridge from, Uni from Hamilton Street. If you know the bridge, Union Street comes up with the other ramp. That means as we get on the bridge, we're going to have to merge to the right through traffic that's coming at a high, relatively high rate of speed from our right. Okay, That is called a level 10 uh, degree of difficulty uh, for a bicycle exercise. And I've been training my people so that we're all confident and comfortable doing it, I'm certain. But as we do that, when we make the approach, if you've ever been on that bridge, both of the entrances, both from Union Street and from Hamilton Street, close down. They're only about nine feet wide. When you get on the bridge there, maybe about 10 feet wide, a bicyclist must take the full lane right there. They can't be sharing that space with a motorist. So they have to move over and take the full lane. This is a necessary position under certain circumstances. And it's necessary for the cyclist to understand that. If they crowd themselves to the right, they're going to get hurt. And encourages the motorist to pass them, too. Makes an urban destination more, makes an urban street more of a destination than a throughway. Now, I don't know exactly the details on this story. I've heard it from you a couple times. But Larry Holmes Drive, a lot of the road diet and the closing down of road capacity, you don't hear that a lot in the Lehigh Valley. We're going to narrow this road. You hear that a lot? No. And, and part of the reason why this, move, this project moved forward in that direction is a massive sinkhole that closed the road. And when they closed the road, lo and behold, more people ate at the restaurants in downtown Easton. Am I right? Okay, so when it came time to fill the sinkhole and open the road back up, the restaurant owners and other business people in Easton that pay taxes, and essentially are Becky's and the, and the mayor and the council's bosses, and, and upon whom they, they uh, rely for their budgets, they were like, well, wait a minute. Maybe we don't want to open that back up as a four-lane highway. We don't want to be a throughway. We want to be a destination. And if you want to look at a town that's accomplished that, look at Emmaus. Emmaus used to be a throughway, and now it's a destination. I've got to give Joyce Marin credit. She's in, in Spain, and her husband just called me the other day. And, you know, they, I love it when my members move away and then call me up and tell me how fantastic it is where they are. You know, that's just great. Why don't you come to Spain, Steve? Okay, increases property values along the street. Again, if you can take your street and make it from a throughway, and I'll give an example. I think Hellertown at this time is a throughway. All right? 
And I've, I've met with Hellertown's uh, Charlie, uh, the, the, the borough manager. I met with him and Bob Freeman, and they're not ready to bite this bullet. They are not ready to make Hellertown's Main Street a destination. They still feel they must make it easy to drive through Hellertown. To me, that's very unfortunate. The pedestrian death count on Main Street in Hellertown is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. And the same thing's true here on Hanover Avenue. You know, as you go through, what do we have? There's a lot of, been a lot of press about it. Seven deaths in the last five years or so. And I'd like to see that closed down. I'd like to see that road, road dieted. But there's not enough political will at this time. It's when they're repaving it right now, when they put it back in, they're going to stripe it exactly the same as it is now. And I think that's too bad. And I also think they're not going to put shared lane markings on it uh, just yet. They might later. They might later. But imagine those homes. Think of Hanover Avenue. Imagine the homes and businesses along Hanover Avenue. Are they places where you'd like to live or open a business? Okay? Why not? Because it's not a destination. Who's, who here stops on their way to Bethlehem at some place on Hanover Avenue? You don't. Okay? It's a throughway. All right? And that's what we're trying to stop. An increase in the likelihood of street users utilizing businesses on the street was the last topic. So I'm going to, and I understand we're going to do questions at the end. And that's really all I have to say. So, shared lane, I'll say one more thing. I gave this talk at a luncheon that was very well attended at um, the Grand Eustonian Hotel Suites Hotel, a lovely, a lovely new destination in, in Easton, fantastic place. And Brian Gish was there. And after I gave the whole presentation and explained in rather strong detail just what these markings do and what their purpose is, Brian said, well, yeah, you really don't need them. You really don't need shared lane markings, and that is absolutely the truth. If everyone in the equation knows their role in the, in the situation, you don't need the shared lane marking because everybody knows where the bicycle is supposed to be, and the motorist knows where it's supposed to be, and people aren't speeding down the street, and you really wouldn't need them. Unfortunately, at this point, because we're an endangered species, I believe we do need them. So that would be the last thing I'd say. I have to admit, this is the first time I'm doing this type of roundtable um presentation, so uh, I'm not going to be as verbose as Steve was, but um, I would like to say that Allentown is a very bikeable city as it is. Uh, we're very fortunate to have had the city laid out, what, 100 plus years ago on the street grid that it has. Um, the street grid is very conducive to riding on whatever street you're comfortable with riding on. You know, if you're an aggressive rider and you're not intimidated by traffic, well, go down Tillman Street. But if you want something a bit more casual, a bit more laid back, ride on um, Allen or Liberty and just kind of enjoy the sycamore trees and just use the streets that are available there. You know, I agree that we need the share lane markings. Um, you know, that will help uh, the automobile drivers understand um, bicyclists will be on the street at that location and in that part of the road. But we don't have to wait for them. We can... Um, you know, get your bikes, uh, take a class with Steve on how to properly ride on the roads, and get out there and do it. We don't need federal policy changes. We don't need big money spent. We need people to get out there and ride. And making that presence will show that more infrastructure is needed, but waiting for the infrastructure, it might not ever come. Um, so I've been trying to live car light. Uh, Steve is famous for being car free, but I try to do as 
little automobile driving as I possibly can. And where I live near Muhlenberg College, I have so many options and so many things nearby that that's a very real um, possibility for me. Um, so it's very important that if you choose to live car-free or car-light, you almost have to go out of your way and find a neighborhood that you can live in that's close to your work, close to shopping, close to maybe your church or whatever religious affiliation you have, close to your kids' schools, so that you can be out there making that one or two mile ride um, without using your car. Uh, and once you start to get that mindset of doing that, you'll find that it is very easy to do. It's very enjoyable, as Steve said. Um, actually find driving to be very displeasant anymore. It's, uh, I get quite irritated by other drivers when I'm driving a car because of how bad they are. And I'd rather be biking. I know that the same type of drivers could be behind me, uh, beeping at me or cursing at me. That's not very pleasant, but that's the exception. It doesn't happen often. And overall, uh, biking is a pleasant experience. Uh, car drivers, on the other hand, when I'm driving, when they're bad drivers, it just makes me mad and, you know, stresses me out. And it's not a pleasant experience at all. And I didn't know this before, but I've read where stress from driving a car is actually one of the things that cause people to have heart attacks. So, you know, people driving to work just get to work and die because of the act of driving a car. You know, you think of car fatalities as car accidents, but here the actual act of itself will kill you. Um, also, something about driving a car that doesn't make any sense to me is people say, well, I bike, but it's so dangerous, you know. But they're the same people that will hop in a car, get on 22, drive 60 plus miles per hour, nearly bumper to bumper, and not think that that's dangerous. I'd rather be biking. When uh, Steve mentioned about uh, children learning how to bicycle, and that after taking the uh, class for uh, 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, that they need their parents to be out there to work with them for 30 or 40 hours. I think that's really true. I think far too often people allow their children to go out on a bike and their parents never ride with them. And the only way the safest bicyclists are ones with experience. And how are you going to have your children have experience unless they learn from you? Now, unfortunately, a lot of parents don't know how to bicycle. So there again, you know, you should sign up with Steve to take his classes. If you have time to um, do some reading, I did find the, uh, the research papers on, by John Poocher at uh, Rutgers to be very informative. They're very um, well researched, uh, a lot of great detail, a lot of charts. Um, a lot of statistics on what they've been able to do in those uh, countries, the northern European countries, to make cycling a very attractive and worthwhile uh, experience. We, we have a lot to learn from them. I know some of their um, separate um, biking facilities aren't always uh, embraced in the United States, but their other policies uh, should be looked at. Certainly they're very strong on education, they're very much into taxing uh, automobile use so that it's not the mode of transportation. You gotta, 
they've taken um, the automobile down a notch and made it equal or less, less than equal to a bicycle in certain mode, uh, situ situations. Um, we need to start doing those sorts of things here. You know, certainly the lane diet in Easton is a good start. Um, other things to consider would be uh, bicycle boulevards, where you um, a street, let's say, like Chew Street in Allentown, instead of being able to go from third all the way out to Trexler Park in your automobile, you would only go two, maybe three blocks, and in your car you would have to turn. You wouldn't have a choice. There would be a barricade more or less in the street. You'd have to turn right or left, and that was it. But those barricades are porous. They allow pedestrians and bicyclists to continue through. Also on these types of streets, the speed limit's knocked way down to like 15 miles per hour. If we had facilities like that, people would, would use it. They would go out of their way to get onto a street like that to walk, bike, run. It's not just a bicycle boulevard. It's a, I believe the new name is a, an urban greenway. And these are the things that we do in our cities to take cars down a notch and make it safer for all other road users. So those are the things that I'm interested in. We've been involved with helping the, um, the Parks Department put together their uh, Connecting Our Communities Trail Plan. Um, that's a great plan. I was very happy that the City of Allentown City Council uh, voted to support that plan. It uh, will allow the city to, to apply for grants and to bring Allentown up to being a very attractive city for biking, um, making uh, people want to come to the city to use a trail system, and also for its residents to easily access the off-road trails uh, to, for exercise and just to, to eventually be, you know, be utility riders, you know, getting out, going to the store, and whatnot. Uh, one of the other things that uh, our members of Bike Allentown are involved with is the Safe Routes to Schools. Uh, we're trying to work help out with the um, evaluation that the city received for um, having a, a consultant come in. Uh, they went to uh, South Mountain School, McKinley School, and to Central uh, Elementary School. I helped out at the McKinley School uh, participating in the presentation of the, of the plan. Um, certainly uh, good things there. Um, you know, a school like McKinley already has 75% of its students walking to school, but you know it's all very close. The the student population, you know, why not push that up to 90%? Um, so they're going to hopefully implement the uh, recommendations of the consultant to make that happen. Um, that's uh, more or less what I wanted to say today. Uh, Bike Allentown, we do do rides once a month where we want to show people how to ride in the, in the city. All of our rides so far have been on city streets. And lately, uh, last month's in the ride that we're going to do this evening from the Allentown Brew Works at 6.30 this evening uh, are on the streets that will be used for uh, the on-trail system. They are targeted to receive the shared uh, lane markings hopefully next year sometime. So if you want to come out and join us and see that Allentown is really a good place to ride, especially with your, within a group. As a co-worker of mine who did a ride last year with me said, it was comfy. <laughs> so uh, 
please come out and join us and experience the city. Thank you. Hi. Um, I've got a handout that, uh, are you getting that? Yeah. Um, this is kind of visual, so I think you're going to uh, um, get, get better appreciation of this if uh, you have my handout to look at. Um, I'm going to talk very briefly about uh, um, the great, greatest cure for insomnia, the Manual on Uniform Traffic Control Devices. This is the brand new edition. They call it the 2009 edition, but I just got it three days ago in the mail. Um, and I'm... Um, and we've talked a lot about things like the shared lane marking and the bicycle may use full lane sign. And, you know, you can't just paint anything you want on a sign and have it be up. Um, here's, here is the first set of hurdles you need to go through. To be effective and to be included in this manual, a traffic control device should meet five basic requirements. Fulfill a need, command attention, convey clear, simple meaning, command respect from road users, and give adequate time for proper response. And um, you don't know how many times in committee meetings if somebody gets a little off base with a weird idea, somebody will just recite that to them and say, hey guy, you're off base, it won't work. Um, and this is, therefore, it's an inherently slow and conservative process, and I'm glad it is because otherwise you would not know what any sign meant. And I was in a meeting where somebody said, let's change the color of the light signals. You know, let's have yellow mean go, let's have purple mean stop. The person was serious. Uh, so some of the predictability, dare I say dullness of the signs you see, is very important to keep you alive because remember the design driver is my mother-in-law. Um, I'm going to talk very briefly about these. Um, Steve spoke at great length about the shared lane marking. It took 17 years for the shared lane marking to get in the manual. And even I think that's too long. Um, but it went through exhaustive testing in a lot of different cities. Uh, there are different versions of it. And when the first shared lane markings started getting painted on the roads in uh, Bethlehem, and Steve insisted on having six or seven of his um, uh, cycling instructors hover over the paint crew as they were putting down each shared lane marking. And I thought, well, Steve's being a little overly cautious about this. And then I realized after a while that Steve, no, Steve was just making sure they got done right. He was exercising quality control because I have on my computer lots of photos of shared lane markings done wrong, right up against the gutter pointing into the right turn only lane, pointing into the sewer grate, you name it. Right where they don't belong. So, shared lane marking has to be painted by somebody who gets it. And fortunately, as long as uh, Steve is hovering over the installation in the Lehigh Valley, they'll be painted correctly. But it's like, it's like a double-edged razor, you know, it's got to be used correctly. I'll also mention the bicycles may use full lane sign. Um, that didn't take as long to get in the manual. That was very good news. I will say to you, that's what bicyclist rights look like. May use full lane. That's a right. And as Steve said, there are times when you want to use a full lane, there are times when you don't. That should be the cyclist's call. But above all else, the bicyclist needs to know that he should do that. And I'll give you an example. Yesterday on the news, there was a fatality in Oakland, California. Bicyclist wasn't using the full lane. He was doored. He swerved to avoid the door, 
got crushed by an overtaking bus. He'd been riding on that same bus with his bike on the rack on the bus just a minute earlier. It's a very sad story. Well, if that bicyclist knew he could have used the full lane, he'd be alive today and he wouldn't have been in the news. So that's how important using the full lane can be. It's a very good example. Just yesterday, a real person would have been alive today if he'd been using the full lane. Also on this in the bottom left corner, you see I have wayfinding signs. Well, we have wayfinding signs all over the place. I know in the middle of Allentown, there's one that points down 15th Street and says, this is how you get to Reading. <laughs> Some of the wayfinding signs are better than others. Um, but um, these are bicycle-specific wayfinding signs, and they're new to the manual. And the bicycle-specific signs have been around, wayfinding signs have been around one form or another. Why are they relevant to us? A very good reason is because something Mr. Sharp mentioned. We are looking at having bicycle boulevards in this region. A bicycle boulevard, a sign that is a street that's optimized for cycling by some of the means you mentioned. Um, it might be one way in some sections for motors, but not for bicyclists. The speed limit might be low, that kind of thing. Um, anybody who lives on one of those streets ought to love it because the motor traffic goes way down. And um, sometimes when you have one of those, um, as we all know, the road map in this part of Pennsylvania looks like a plate of spaghetti. There's so many roads, you don't know which ones go where. And as simple as, what's the nicest, lowest stress route from riding from Allentown to Bethlehem? Well, suppose we establish a bicycle boulevard parallel to Hamilton, uh, Hanover Avenue, which has been talked about. I couldn't find it. I would need a wayfinding sign to direct me to it. So that, again, is something we haven't seen in the Lehigh Valley. Um, but I think there are some good uses for it, and you may see it here, and it's new in the manual. Uh, bottom center, you see mystery sign. And the reason I put there is because I just wanted to underscore item C in this uh, principles of traffic control devices, convey a clear, simple meaning. I looked at that and thought, what is that? Is that a charging station for your iPod? Uh, my wife told me she thinks it's a rattlesnake. Um, the point is that a very high hurdle will pass with any new signs, what we call glance recognition. And again, the design driver is my mother-in-law, and, and if she can see it and know what it means, then that's good. You have to have glance recognition and appropriate follow-through by the design driver. So that's mystery sign. Okay, last problem I will discuss. I truly consider the Lehigh Valley to be world-class, state-of-the-art, in how it's approaching bicycle accommodations. And I see stuff from all over the world. And the Lehigh Valley is spending less money and being less bold, and that's what makes it state-of-the-art. What you see here, there's the straight lane, there's the right turning lane, what's wrong with this picture? By most people's standards, they're reversed from where they should be. Yeah. But a lot of the bicycle facilities that you see in Copenhagen, in Amsterdam, in Portland, Oregon, now in Washington, D.C., are like this picture. Well, what's the consequence of that? In Amsterdam, you had four cyclists. Amsterdam, which is supposed to be bicycle nirvana, four cyclists crushed to death by trucks in one year because of that, um, configura that configuration. Um, in Copenhagen, 
we call right hook accidents, this kind of collision increased 154% as a result of their um, putting those in. So I want everybody here in the Lehigh Valley to be proud that we're not spending money on this kind of infrastructure. We're saving lives by not doing this. Um, and uh, I think I should quit on that. Thanks, Steve. Hi, my name is Barbara Rowley, and I live not far from where John Sharp lives, near Muhlenberg College, a little bit in a different direction. And of course, I'm no spring chicken, so my bicycling range is rather limited. But I find my location quite convenient for getting to a, a fair number of facilities and uh, places that I want to go for transportation purposes rather than driving my car. But there is one wee little obstacle that maybe I'm being hypersensitive but I find uh, bicycle unfriendly. And that is the non-MUDTCD signs, not the type of sign that uh, John referred to, the official signs, but the private signs erected on things like professional parks and shopping centers that say, no loitering, skateboarding, bicycle riding permitted, violators will be prosecuted. Now I know that these signs are undoubtedly aimed at somebody other than me, like many bicyclists say that think that stop signs are aimed at somebody other than them. But uh, they were aimed at juvenile delinquents who were chopping up the, the uh, picnic furniture to make ramps for whatever, playing games rather than paying customers. But nevertheless, I'm sort of a literal-minded person, and when I see something that says no bicycling permitted, violators will be prosecuted, and I'm riding a bicycle, I think it pertains to me. So I'm wondering how can we, is there a point in trying to educate the private sector that all operates uh, commercial facilities, that there's a difference between juvenile delinquents and paying customers, and that bicycles, signs gener generically prohibiting bicycles, shouldn't or not prudent to have or not reasonable to have. I, I, if you like, um, I, I think uh, I've spent quite a bit of time trying to get some of these signs removed, and it's very difficult. Uh, um, a classic is uh, the farmer's market at 17th and 2. It's, it's signed, no bicycles. And yet you can go there any time. There's plenty of employees whose bikes are locked up out back. And speaking of no bicycle parking, there's no bicycle parking uh, other than locking your bike to somebody's truck or something in back of the farmer's market. And when I spoke to the owners, they said, well, it's okay. You can go ahead and ride. We didn't mean you. But again, it's, it's, it's inappropriate. And it's everywhere. So. I, I think this is, this is something we're going to have to come to grips with. Uh, it's everywhere, particularly municipal facilities, schools, places where they, it really shouldn't be. And I think the excuse that it's not aimed at you is inadequate. It's not enough. You know, I know that there are bicycles out there who are vandals. Uh, Liberty High School, for example, banned biking to school because of vandals who destroyed all the trees and benches and everything else. They're not bicyclists, they're vandals. Okay, and I think this is something we really need kind of a groundswell. And, and I would ask you if, you, if you encounter these kinds of problems, write to our office, carfree.org, and, and we'll try and do something about it. And may, I'm hopeful that as our numbers climb, when we're only one in 2,000, who's going to listen? Okay, but as we, our numbers climb and we become, you know, one in 100, two in 100, three in 100, then I think we can be able to to uh, cope with the, these uh, anti-bike sentiments that you see. The only other thing I have seen successfully, and I have gotten a few removed myself, is to go in as a customer. If, you, if it's a business, and you go in as a customer, 
and I got one removed from a CVS. I went into the manager and I said, I'm not going to come here anymore if you don't take that sign down. And they did. But it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to speak up by yourself, too. Um, so I would recommend anybody that faces this type of what, what is, it's prejudice to me. And I think it's transportation-based prejudice. And if you face this, if you call us, uh, we have some experience with it, I won't promise you that we can help you. You know, drive through banks is another one. You walk up or you drive, ride your bike up to a bank and, it, and the inside office is closed. And you can, they will not service you. I feel this is extremely inappropriate. But there, it's a business you can't always affect a change. But together, maybe we can do something. I've also found that sometimes the signage or this type of sentiment is not really the business's attitude. And if you bring it to the leadership or the owner or the management of the business, they will remove the sign or remove the policy. So frequently, for, for example, drive up bank, you'll get the teller telling you, no, I'm not servicing you. But if you, if you say, could I please speak to the manager, the manager may say, of course we're going to service you. What are you talking about? What's the problem here? Okay, so there are, there are things you can do, but it is, and you can tell, it makes me very angry, okay, because I think this is totally inappropriate, and I'm with you 100% on that. So if there's anything we can do to help anyone that faces that type of prejudice, uh, I would be happy to try to weigh in. Uh, something that's less um, obvious and a more subtle is the lack of bike racks at uh, commercial facilities. Um, you know, it's going to be easy, relatively, for Allentown to put hitches in uh, along Hamilton Street and other places that Steve and I identified. Uh, you can go to our website and look at the locations. So we, all the pictures that Steve and I took are available there. But how do we go about contacting and working with, um, like, the Village West Shopping Center at uh, Cedar Crest and Tillman Street? You know, that's owned by uh, a property management company called Centro, and that's South Whitehall Township. I understand they're rather difficult to work with. Now, how do we get a, some racks in there to accommodate cyclists? You know, I go there all the time now. I have to lock up to a railing, or I just lock my bike freestanding, you know, and somebody could come along with a pickup truck, just grab my bike and be gone, and, you know, I wouldn't have a bike when I came out of the store. So. That type of subtle discrimination or lack of accommodation needs to be addressed as well. We should get together on that. Create a priority list and try to get one or two or three fixed each year. Okay. I think that might be a good idea. Sure. Yeah, like Steve was saying, I did like when we had that meeting, I was kind of saying, you know, we shouldn't need these because it's reinforcing existing law. But unfortunately, obviously, people don't, drivers don't realize that or they wouldn't be honking their horns, you know. They either don't know it or they don't care. Um, so one of the things I'm wondering is what's being done on, we've talked a lot about the bike education side, which is very important. Well, the driver education side, the people driving these cars is equally important. What are we doing, like, I don't know if there's any advocacy working with PennDOT. When you get your learner's permit, you should be questioned on what, how to deal with bicycles, about how they have the right to be there. I know they say maybe one question might come up out of every so many, but it really seems like something, and I, I'm not that old, only I guess about 15 years ago I took my driver's license test. I don't remember anyone telling me a lick of things about bicycles. 
um, how we can make that more part of that driver education. And I don't know if there's any advocacy going on in that regard. Uh, I'll take a crack at that. And boy, you raise a lot of great issues. Um, also about 15 years ago, I got involved in an effort to put some stuff in the, in the bicycle driver's, in the, excuse me, in the motorist driver's manual, the one that teenagers all get. And we added a page or two of how to interact with bicyclists on the road. And um, in addition to that, that also gave rise to the um, Pennsylvania Bicycle Driver's Manual. Um, because this is real fortunate, the, the state said, I, I drafted you know, several pages of how to ride a bike information. They said, no, we don't want that. But, you know, we'll have a separate bicycle driver's manual. And Pennsylvania has an excellent one that has been copied by, I believe it's four other states. Let's see, Florida, Idaho, Arizona, and Ohio. Um, so five states use the same manual. We were the first to do it. And um, so, but that's bicycling. That's not teaching motorists. Uh, the other thing I'd have to say is that, um, unfortunately, any time you talk about anything that's going to add delay, restrictions, red tape, work, money, whatever you want to call it, in between regular and now and having a driver's license, there are interests in Harrisburg that are going to oppose you. Um, and I know I would like to see everybody get recurrent training and retesting, let's say every five years. I mean, it works for pilots, you know, it works for lots of occupations. But uh, I, don't, I don't see any move towards that, either locally or nationally, um, unfortunately. And, but I think, it's a, I think we should do that. I think we all develop sloppy habits and we could all used to have the ego crushing of having our sloppy habits corrected for us. We do teach a course called Motorist Education. That course is most often taught to fleet operators. And it's most often taught because we catch members of that fleet who are driving atrociously, I mean, exceptionally bad. Uh, yesterday, we had an experience, our class had an experience, there were four uh, people riding over Route 22 on Airport Road, 987, and a trans bridge bus, that's right, a trans bridge bus, let's give them credit, uh, passed the four cyclists who are riding single file in the right-hand lane going over the bridge, going over the highway on the right. The bus was on the shoulder, and I believe it was about a foot away from the line of cyclists. It was totally inappropriate on any way you might want to look at it. We are in touch. We're going to be professionally approaching them. We did the same thing. Dr. Fritz Walker, who was one of the founders of Bike Allentown, was, had a bad experience with a Parkland school bus. And to their credit, the, uh, uh, Mr. Emick, who's in charge of that, those operators, hired me to come and talk to his operators. And I'm now doing it each year. They love it. They love, in fact, what they like most about it is they found out that most of the time they're right. Most of the cyclists they encounter are wrong. It's the other way around. But yes, do we need motorist education? We sure do. The shared lane marking helps, but I think that we need to get at, and I, again, I would say to anybody out there, you're riding a bike and you get passed too closely or somebody cuts you off and you can identify from a business, uh, it's, it's a fleet, it's a Lanta bus, or it's a, 
uh, Easton coach vehicle or whatever, you can identify the fleet, or maybe you can just see the name on the side of the vehicle, who owns the vehicle, give us a call. We'll be very happy to, to step up and do something about it. When I was a member of the Recreation Commission here in Allentown, I was passed by a uh, recreation vehicle who was towing a, a tree grinder on Route 145, and he deliberately tried to run me off the road. When I called up and talked to essentially a person who worked for me as a member of the Recreation Commission, he said to me, thank God, Steve, we've been trying for years to catch this guy. It's something that we could get rid of him for. Okay? So I'll, I'll pass that along. A lot of times, these bad drivers, they need a wake-up call. And I think that's, again, at some point, we have to stand up for ourselves, cyclists, and we have to do the right thing and report it. And by the way, that doesn't mean yelling and screaming in road rage right at the time. Those are inappropriate. We don't teach that. The correct response to anything that happens is, hey, have a great day, okay? And that's what we teach. But you can use email. And I can tell you, most fleet operators and most people that own businesses, they don't want drivers like that. They want to know when a driver's impatient and engaging in road rage, okay? I'm very sorry. I, I have to go because I have a um, class that I'm teaching. But you can write to us. Our website is carfree.org. And we're very happy to try to involve anybody in any, anything that we can do. But I don't want to be, I want to be fair to the people that rode over with me and uh, get back to, to our seminar. But thank you very, very much, Steve. I really appreciate the time. And, and bicycling really does need this sort of in-depth development. We need it.